I'm glad you're here this morning. It's good to be in church. No better place to be. I, I like when I leave church, I feel good. I feel like I've accomplished at least something halfway decent, you know, so I'm so glad to be here this morning. All right, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and let's start reading in verse number 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, we, we find in verse number 1 that Paul says, this know also. In other words, what he just said in chapter number 2, and it seems like it's a continue, continuing thought, this know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. And then when you read verse 2 and 3 and 4, you find out about the characteristics of the age of the last days. I don't think that these are dangerous. These things in verse 2, 3, and 4 are dangerous to us physically, though maybe some of them are, but, but I think overall it's dangerous to our society. So as a society, these things are dangerous. If that does not describe today, I don't know what does. I mean, you go down through that. I could go down through there and we could spend a lot of time on each one of these uh, things here that, that Paul mentions here. And we're, we're not going to do that this morning because I've got some other things in a different direction when I, I want to go with the message. But he says, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now, I don't believe we're in the end times. I think doctrinally, that's where you have to make the right distinction and division is the end times or the, uh, the end would be the end of the tribulation period. That's when the Lord comes back and sets up His kingdom and that's the end of this thing and He's going to remake it. Uh, and, you know, after you get past the thousand year reign, He's going to remake this entire thing, the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. But for you and I, Paul is speaking to Timothy. He's talking about in the, in the church age here and he's talking about the last days. I believe you and I are in the last days. I mean, Paul was thinking that, 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 that he's in the last days. If you read his writings, you would think that he's looking for the Lord to come back any moment in his day. And here we are nearly 2,000 years later after that, and here we are, and we are in these last days, the perilous times that Paul talks about. You see, the word perilous means dangerous. And that's where we're at. We're in dangerous times. I mean, you can, you know, if, if you care to be depressed enough to watch the, the news, then you, you know that Ukraine and Russia and America has been sucked into this, this war or, this, or into some parts of this war between Russia and Ukraine. You realize that America is on the precipice of maybe even going to war with Red China. Red China's always been Red China. China's never been our friend. See, Americans can't get beyond that because they think that China is our friend because we, you know, we buy and sell goods from them. So, and as long as we do that, we are friends with them. But you remove the buying and the selling of merchandise from China, and America and China are at war today. I mean, it's that bad, you know. And I mean, think about it. They flew a balloon, a balloon, a baloney, a balloon across our country there, and and we allowed it. 
We allowed it. I mean, this is dangerous. I mean, what if it had some kind of toxic something or another in it? And I mean, you just never know about the. I mean, that's why I think we're living in dangerous times as far as you know the physical aspect. But here we see that it's a, it's a society that's got dangerous problems here. I mean, there used to be a day years ago. I remember when I was a little fellow growing up, and I can remember that when we would go off somewhere, we wouldn't even close the front door. I mean, the screen you know the screen door would shut, and I don't even think it was locked. And we go off for three or four hours and we come back and there's no problem. You, know, you can't do that nowadays. You come back and somebody might have taken everything you've got in your house, you know. I mean, even when I pull up in my driveway at my house, I'm just in the habit of locking the door. I'm just that way. Why? Because somebody break in. And t- I mean, there's, I guess they can get the radio or something like that. There's really nothing of any value in there. But you just never know about people. And so, uh, you know, why, why do we say that? Why do we, why do we have to lock our doors and things like that nowadays? Because we're living in dangerous times. You know, America's crime rate has skyrocketed. Even in the past few years, it has skyrocketed. Our jails and our prisons are full. And, and uh, you know, if you put everybody in prison that belonged in prison, we wouldn't have anywhere to house them. I think that might be one of the reasons why judges are uh, real lenient on them and things like that, and they're back out on the streets before the police officers can even process the paperwork. I mean, that's just the day we're in now, you know, and they're back out committing another crime before the police officers has got the paperwork done. You see, our, our jails are full, and we don't have the money to keep them all locked up. And I mean, unless I was dreaming this, I think I remember one time where, uh, you know, I think it was here in Princeton, I believe I was reading this in the paper, we didn't have enough places to house them, so they were taking them to Beckley. That's been several years ago. I mean, and what, what all does this stem from? It, it stems from immorality. It stems from people just don't care about the law. They have no fear of God. And in this country, you have the criminals and their immorality, and then you have the leaders and you've got their immorality. And so the leaders don't want to lock them up because then they feel like a hypocrite for locking them up for things far less than what they're guilty of. We're living in an immorality society or an immoral society. And um, that's a good way to get dumb laws, by the way. This cashless bail thing, I don't know if you know much about that. Isn't that dumb? I mean, it's the strangest thing. I don't think it was that long ago, I think, that Princeton City Police Department pulled up one day to get gas, and the gas card had no money on it. You see, it takes money to do all this stuff. So our crime has gotten so bad that we can't even finance the thing is the point to be made. What am I talking about? I'm talking about perilous times and dangerous times. Now, this is my opinion, but I, and I think it's a good one, by the way. I think Paul says that somewhere along the way. This is my opinion. I think it's a good one there. But I believe I could go back to where I can see where there was a major shift in our country. I think I can go back to this lady. Her name was Madeline O'Hare. You might remember her. And uh, she was an atheist. And uh, she got a lawsuit going. I think uh, it was her, she used her son as the, the thing to do the lawsuit. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And ultimately what happened was it got prayer out of school and it got the Bible kicked out of school. And I believe you could see our young people have just went downhill ever since and our society has went right behind it as well. I've heard leaders and I've even heard, I've even heard our current president, they'll say, you know, like, God bless America at the end of their speech. Or they'll say, God bless our troops. I don't know why he says, God bless our troops after each service. I mean, certainly we want God to bless the troops, but I mean, it don't even have anything to do with the troops. And he's saying, God bless our troops. But anyway, you know, he'll say, God bless our troops. So on one hand, he wants God to bless our country. But on the other hand, he wants God to bless the immorality of the country. You can't have it both ways. I believe that a lot of this is connected. You see, people want a good economy and they want things to be good and interest rates low and cheap prices and all. But I believe that some of that has to do with the judgment of God on us for our immorality of our country. 
And so, you know, what we do is, is they get up there and they start, you know, talking about, you know, God and things like that. And you've saw that in sports lately. Now all of a sudden, because they want to talk about God, and all of a sudden they want to pray, and now it's okay. But now you and I all along wanted to do this, and oh, you can't do that. You see, what it is is they want you to come to their God on their terms. Is what it is. You can't go to God, your God, on your terms. And the world has a different God than you and I do. When they talk about God, it ain't the same God you and I are talking about. When they talk about Jesus, typically it's not the same Jesus of the Bible that you and I are talking about. I hate to make that division, but we're living in that day that we can't no longer bury our heads in the sand and think that everybody in this country is on the same page when it comes to God. Because we're not. Listen, I serve the Lord Jesus Christ is who I serve. I don't serve Buddha. I I don't serve Muhammad. I don't serve this country for that matter. First and foremost, I serve my heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. It's not just God. It's not just God. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also, also in me. If you want to come to God, you've got to go through Jesus Christ in order to get to God. It's not, well, I was sincere or, or they're sincere, and as long as you're sincere about what you believe, then that's all that matters. No, you can go to hell quicker on, in one religion as you can another. You must have a new birth. And that's what we were talking about earlier. Listen, America's crime rate is at an all-time high, and our country's morality is at an all-time low. Isn't anyone making the connections? Isn't anyone drawing the, a correlation or connecting the dots? I mean, we're, we're, you, the two are go hand in hand, I believe. So this morning I want to preach a message entitled, Dangerous Times. And I want to give you some reasons from a spiritual perspective as to why I believe we are in the mess that we're in today. Now this morning when I'm talking about the church, I'm not necessarily talking about our church particular, I'm talking about the church as a whole. But I think that would include you and me here this morning. So let me preach a message to you, if you will, for the next few minutes entitled, Dangerous Times. Number one, the church no longer has the power of God. I mean, you might find pockets of people that are on fire for God and serving God and God is blessing and using, but as a whole, the church is no longer on fire like it used to be in years past. In Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8, the Bible said, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so he says, ye shall receive power. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking about the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God. God's going to come down and baptize them into the body of Christ and they're going to receive power from on high. But the church has slowly lost that power over time. Many times God works through His people and when God's people who are the church no longer desire to have God on them, then you and I are in a mess. We're in a huge mess when people no longer desire God on them. I believe that perilous times are here because in part the church no longer has and the church no longer desires the power of God. When's the last time you heard a message where a preacher gets up and preaches on the power of God? I'm not talking about this mess about falling out on the floor and convulsions and stuff like that. That's not the power of God. I'm talking about somebody having the power of God on their life and then it affects other people and it influences other people for God. I'm talking about having the power of God. Paul said in Ephesians 5 and verse number 18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. You see, just because you're saved doesn't mean that you're filled with the Spirit. Now, when you first get saved, you are filled with the Spirit. But you know what? That's a command. 
to save people, to be filled with the Spirit. In other words, you don't have to be filled with the Spirit, but he says it's a command that you should be. It's a command for you and me to be filled. Now, in Acts chapter number 2, I'm going to turn over there and read this. In Acts chapter number 2, in verse number 14 is where I'm going to start at. In Acts chapter 2, in verse number 14, Peter, this is the day of Pentecost, and Peter is up there and he's preaching. Verse 14 said, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. In other words, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And part of that thing wasn't fulfilled here on this day. But what he's talking about is there were people that were looking at him. I mean, the Spirit of God came down on this day right here, and there were people who looked at that and thought, man, these people are drunk. I mean, they got, they got filled with the Spirit, and then they were, these people that were witnessing this were saying, well, they look like they're drunk. And Peter said, no, they're not drunk. I mean, it's just 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. And, you know, and again, I'm not talking about being filled with the Spirit as in all this other stuff that the Spirit, Holy Spirit gets attributed to that He didn't even do. I believe God gets credit for things that goes on in churches that God didn't have anything to do with. I believe that. But anyway, uh, you know, they, this is not this thing where you just lose control of your body and something else takes over. That's not biblical whatsoever. It's flopping out on the floor and stuff that we've talked about in the past there, and you say, well, I just couldn't control my faculties. God just took over. That's not God. You better be careful about something like that. Some devil might possess you when you let loose and let go like that. But, but what we find in the passage here is that they were looking at him and saying, well, they were drunk, but they wasn't drunk. They wasn't drunk as they supposed they were. And so when we're talking about this thing here, they're talking about the characteristics of a drunk man. You see, they were, you know what a drunk will do? A drunk will cry one minute and he'll laugh the next, won't he? I mean, you know, that's the way a Christian ought to be. We ought to be able to laugh one minute and then be able to cry the next. You know, what, another thing that a drunk will do? He'll reach in his pocket and pull out every dollar bill or change he's got and give it to his buddy, right? Here you go, buddy, buddy. You know? I mean, he'll give you every, every dollar he's got in his pocket. You know, that's the Christian's heart and the Christian's nature is to give and to give and to give. But you see, they wasn't drunk it was just the characteristics of a Spirit-filled believer. Now, as God's people, we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. You see, I believe that a lot of the reason why we're in the mess we're in is because the church no longer has the power of God like we used to. We're no longer filled with the Spirit like the church used to be. The church has lost much of her influence when it comes to helping to transform lives. The church no longer, I mean, it's no sooner we walk through those doors, we're out the doors as quick as we walked in, you know. We come in, we sit down, okay, preacher, you got 30 minutes and I'm done, and I'm out the door. You're not going to have the Spirit of God to move in a service like that when everybody's just itching to beat the, 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 the Methodists or the Presbyterians to the buffet. You know, I didn't hurry up to get in so I can hurry up and get out. I mean, if God decided He wanted to show up this morning and bless and all that, listen, let's take our time with it, Right? I mean, let's not rush God. Let's let God have His way because the Bible said where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we're talking about transformed lives and the church is slowly losing her influence on people when it comes to transforming lives. I realize that Jesus Christ does the saving and then if somebody will follow Him, He will change their lives. But do you know what? I've got a lot of people that's, that's influenced me and I don't even believe I'd be where I'm at today had it not been for the influence of other people. It's God using those people in my life to help me 
me to be who I am today. Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 2, And be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We ought to be encouraging others with tr- to have transformed lives. I mean changed lives. That's what I'm talking about. It's changed lives. The church used to have more influence in people's lives than any other group on this planet. But that's not the case nowadays because we have lost the power to influence changed lives and things devolve. And don't get me wrong, I don't think that all the world's problems is the church's fault. I don't believe that at all. If I understand my Bible correctly, things have to go this way. But that doesn't mean that you and I as the church, as a local church, have to go along with the world. We don't have to go along with these last days, Laodicea, lukewarm Christianity. We don't have to go along with it. We can be different. Just because God prophesied that things are going to be that way doesn't mean that we have to be that way. And so there's certain things that's going to have to happen so that as prophesied, the church is going to be raptured out of here, then the tribulation period starts, and then things are going to ratchet up in the tribulation period and get worse and worse and worse until Jesus Christ has to come back. You see, we are premillennialists. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming back before the millennium. But now postmillennialists either believe that Jesus Christ is reigning right now spiritually, and then they also believe that the church is going to do, make things so much better that Jesus Christ has to come back and that it'll be ready when he comes back. That's the postmillennials' view. We don't believe that. We believe the church is going out of here because things are going to get bad. That's what we believe. And so I've, I've been a, pre, a pre-trib, pre-millennial all my entire life, and I believe that from cover to cover from this book right here. Now, describing the church age, Paul prophesied in our text, he said, perilous times shall come, and that's exactly what is happening, and that's exactly what will happen. It will get worse and worse. Many churches no longer stand on biblical morality anymore. Nowadays, anything goes, even from the pulpit. In the United States... 267,000 people died of COVID in 2022. In 2020, two years prior to that, over 930,000 abortions took place in the United States. Let that sink in for a minute. That's almost three times as many children aborted, murdered, died, than died of COVID. But they're going to lift up COVID, but then they're going to push back abortion. What's the deal with that? Somebody's got their priorities all wrong. That's hypocrisy at its highest. Churches today are ordaining homosexuals behind the pulpit with Romans chapter 1 staring them right in the face. How could you as a quote-unquote ordained homosexual get up and preach out of Romans chapter 1? Why, you can't. Because that's the biggest piece of hate literature against what you're doing. Amen and amen and amen to that. The world is equating gay rights with civil rights. Do you know what that'll do? That'll make the Bible one of the biggest pieces of hate literature is what it'll do. Because now the church is inclusive and accepting everything. You've heard about all these revivals and stuff that are taking place, and you've got queers and sodomites and LGB and all that stuff leading that stuff. You've got them taking the Eucharist. We talked about that last week. Listen, God's not in that mess. When Christians can't discern from what is true revival from what is fake revival, we're in a mess. When we no longer have the spiritual discernment to understand that that is not of God, then we are in a mess. You say, well, you shouldn't cast judgment. Well, Paul said, he who is spiritual judgeth all things. If there's anything on this planet that I can judge, I can judge spiritual things according to this book. And this book says a lot of that stuff is wrong. I know people who believe the Bible like you and I do, they got sucked up into that mess. 
That's terrible. Men of God that supposedly a lot of people look up to took off and said, well, we're going to go see what it's all about. And we're in a mess. You say, well, if God chooses to send revival, He can choose to send it any way He wants to. Okay, but He's not going to go against His Word to do it. You, you know, you can, you can have emotions, but then there's the Word of God that goes with that. And your, if your emotions don't match the Word of God, your emotions are wrong. That's just a hard fact. You see, America is going to hell in a handbasket while much of the church could care less about souls dying and going to hell. It's not necessarily a leadership problem. It's not necessarily a politician's problem. I believe it's the hearts of America problem. I believe that's what that is. Do you, what, maybe you'd agree with me, maybe you wouldn't. But all through Scripture, what God does is God will give the desires of a person's heart. And sometimes God will give the, the leaders according to the desire of the people's heart. And I believe that's what America's getting. America's getting the, the, the desires of her heart. Why, why do we get liberals and so, socialism and communism and things like that uh, in, in this country? I'll tell you why. It starts in the heart. That's why. You know, Billy Sunday, you've heard a lot about him. He was a great evangelist in the past. And I read somewhere one time where he was born in Iowa. And he ended up uh, in an orphanage, and he ran away uh, to work in a stable. He began to play basketball. And some of you might remember, if you know history and stuff like that, that when he signed up with the Chicago White Stockings. <laughs> so it's been a little while back. In 1887, he started going to church regularly, and he heard about Jesus Christ, and he got saved. And Billy Sunday became a fire and brimstone preacher. I hear people talk about that. Oh, I don't agree with that fire and brimstone. Hey, however to get them into the kingdom of God, right? I mean, sometimes it takes a message of love and of, you know, of, of, of heaven. Sometimes it takes a message of just preaching on hell and the torments of hell. Sometimes it takes that. You know, everybody doesn't get saved under the same type of message. You say, well, I just believe this certain type of message is wrong. Well, how do you know how God works on that? Have you read your Bible? I remember Jesus, many times he spoke about hell more than he did heaven. He even set a little child on his lap and talked about hell. So, you know, I, I don't buy into that stuff. But Billy Sunday, I mean, he, he preached around, you know, all across the place, all across the land, and he took a stand. If you know anything about him, he took a stand against alcohol. He took a stand against liquor. He pre I mean, every, I guess every message the man ever preached, he probably somewhere along the way talked about liquor. And he preached that liquor would be a giant step towards immorality. He preached that it would be a, a, a downfall of a nation. And do you want to know something? He was right. Not many people get up and preach against the sin of, uh, of drunkenness anymore today because now what's taken its place is cocaine and heroin and marijuana and, and meth and fentanyl and things like that. And that's how the immorality starts. It starts with what seems like something small, and then it begins to snowball. Why? Because sin is progressive. Sin knows no boundaries. If you give sin just a little bit of room, it'll want more, and it'll want more, and it'll want more, and it starts out with a drink of alcohol, and then a drink turns into a can, and a can turns into a six-pack, and a six-pack turns into a case, and to where you no longer get a buzz off that, so now you've got to turn to hard liquor. You see, it starts out slow and then it progresses and it progresses because the more you give sin, the more that sin will want. The more you try to feed your flesh, the more that this flesh will want. So the chances of our country reviving is a very slim thing. I believe God can do anything. I believe a revival can take place, but will it? Is God willing? I know God can, but is God willing? You see, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't have to devolve with what the world's relationship with their God is. 
Your relationship can be a right biblical relationship. You see, we're in dangerous times today. We're in perilous times today because the church has lost her power. Number two, the church has not only lost her power, but the church has lost her way in prayer. The church has lost her way in prayer. They just quit praying. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse number 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 17, Pray without ceasing. That means you can pray going down the road. It means you can pray while you're jogging in the morning or when you're at, maybe you're at the gym or wherever it might be. You can pray anywhere. I'm not saying when you're driving down the road that you've know, you got to close your eyes. and you, you, That'd be... Yeah, you might want to do that, not want to do that. But you can pray with your eyes open. You can pray driving down the road. You can pray riding a bike. You can pray anywhere. I mean, because God is everywhere. It doesn't, doesn't, you know, you can't limit God. You see, somebody said one time, a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. And I'm thankful that I've got people that are praying for me. You know, you've got people praying for you, and I'm thankful I've got people praying for me. And, uh, but as a whole lot of power has been lost because people have quit getting on their knees. You see, a lack of prayer leads to empty lives. That's what it does. A lack of prayer leads to empty lives. In Haggai 1 verse 6, the Bible said, Ye have so much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but, ye, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it in a bag with holes. There's, you see, trying to serve God without prayer is like trying to put money in a bag with holes in it. And you can't, it's, there's, there's no reward for that thing. A believer's service without prayer is kind of like putting money in a bag with holes. If God isn't in you, you can't sow as much as you want, but you will bring in little. Empty lives in turn bring empty worship services. You know, if you don't care about your church enough to pray for your church, then when you come to church, you're going to sit there and... And that's what you're going to be when you come to church. Church is going to be dull, it's going to be boring, because let's face it, you're only going to get out of something what you put into it. And if you're not putting any prayer time into your church, then you're probably not going to get very much out of it when you come to your church. Without praying for your church, you will find yourself not being concerned about your church. You see, the things that we are concerned about, we typically pray for, don't we? You'll come to church and you'll just be going through the motions without emotions. And when someone gets saved, it'll no longer be a big deal to you. You, you know, it's just, a, just another day, you know, no big deal. A backslider gets right with God and you'll be looking at your watch to see when it's time to go. I mean, that's just, you know, the way people are. And when your church has a baptism, you'll be trying to make your way out with nobody seeing you, you know. It's no longer exciting to you when people become a member of the church. I mean, if you don't pray about these things, then it's not going to be exciting for you. One of the things is, you say, you pray and you say, God, give us some more members. Give us some more members. Send us some more members. And so when they do, you get excited. Why? Because God answered one of your prayers. It's an exciting thing when you pray about something and it actually happens. I mean, that's a blessing right there. And that's how God increases our faith in prayer. A lack of prayer can cause you to have an empty life, which can lead to empty worship in your heart, that can lead to empty pews, which can lead to no one getting ministered in this local church. So you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Perilous times are here in part because believers no longer see the necessity in prayer. Number three, the church has lost God's Word. We're in the mess we're in, in dangerous times, because the church has lost God's Word. What do I mean by that? They've set God's Word aside. I don't mean that you're searching for it and trying to find it. No, we've got it. It's just we've set it to the side. Now, I'm one of those preachers that I preach read your Bible all the time. 
I'm one of those. You'll, you'll, get, you'll get sick of hearing that, but I want you to get sick of hearing it because I believe that's one of the fundamentals of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't believe without the Word of God you can have the right relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe that thing is inseparable right there. You've got to have some prayer. Then you've got to have, you've got to have you talking to God. And then you've got to have God's Word daily so God can talk to you. That's how the Lord talks to you. He doesn't speak to us today in visions and dreams. He doesn't speak to us today in an audible voice. Maybe in the Old Testament He did that, but He doesn't do that any longer. Why? Because we have His Word now. It's complete in the 66 books of the Scriptures right here that you hold in your lap. God doesn't need to speak to us that way anymore. He gave us His Word and He says, okay, now I want to talk to you. And that's how He talks to you and I. So the way we learn the testimony of Jesus Christ is by reading the, the Word of God. In John 5, 39, Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. You want to learn about Jesus Christ, you're going to have to get in the book. Don't take a preacher's word for anything. You get in the Bible, you study out for yourself. As a matter of fact, that's one of my next points. We should not only read the Bible, but we should study the Bible. In 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. We ought to study our Bible that when we hear it, we know it's Bible preaching. You ever been somewhere and you heard uh, a preacher and he was up preaching and, and I did this, I heard this not long ago, and, and you were like, you've read your Bible so much and studied it so much, you know when they're quoting other versions. I mean, it's just, it's just like that. You're like, oh, that's not King James. Oh, that one's not King James. You see? And that's the way the world's going nowadays for sure. But, but you see, it's just you've got such a familiarity with the Bible that you know when it is the King James Bible and when it's not. You see, without the Word of God, we cannot even have right discernment when it comes to whatever spirit that thing is. He said to try the spirits and see whether they be of God. Well, how are you going to try the spirits? Well, I just felt like it was the Spirit of God. It just felt like a spirit of revival. Well, what's the Bible say? You know, you try the spirits by the Word of God. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's not of God. That's just a cold, hard fact. Now, folks get upset when you talk like that nowadays because that causes division. But doesn't the Bible cause division? Didn't Jesus say that no man cometh unto the Father but by me? That sounds like division to me. Jesus said to sell, what did he tell his disciples? Did he say to sell their coat? And then he said to go buy a sword. What does a sword do? It divides, it cuts, it divides. And so things that divide doesn't mean it's not of God. God has a Bible. He divides it into two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Does that mean God, that that's not of God? He goes even further and divides it into 66 books. Does that mean it's not of God? You see, you've got to be careful about your logic of thinking there. You see, when somebody comes along and they say, well, you must be baptized in order to go to heaven in water, or you just can't go, then a red flag ought to pop up inside of you and say, oh, that ain't right. That's not scriptural. When someone says they're doing their best to get to heaven, we're all striving to get to the same heaven, a flag ought to go up and say something inside of you ought to say, well, that don't sound right because I'm not striving. Jesus Christ already strove for me. You know these things because the Holy Spirit brings them to your remembrance about what the Bible says. I'll never forget this. I mean, you know, Romans 3 and verse number 23, he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I remember years ago, Miss Shirley Brown, she was my Sunday school teacher. I remember she had, um, on, a, on the wall, she had this thing. I don't know if it was around football season. I assume it was. But she had this thing. I don't know if it was one of those cork board things or whatever, but she did a little, like a little football field. And then she had them marked off. And if you memorized the Scripture, and you were there that day, memorized the Scripture and brought your Bibles and just different things, you got to move your little football with your name on it down the field. <laughs> and I remember that... You know, I, I remember that one of the, the ending things that I won it with was Romans 3.23. 
remembering that Scripture. And you know what? I've never forgot it today. Because as a young child, I embedded that in my heart. You see, so putting Scripture into our kids' minds when they're young is a whole lot easier than trying to do it when you're 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 years old. It's hard to remember those things. Sometimes I forget where I laid my car keys, let alone remembering Scripture when I get older. Now, now I'm not saying that you ought to stop trying. You ought to try to remember Scripture because David said, Thy word have I hid in mine heart. Why? That I might not sin against thee. There may come a day when they take the Bible out of our home. Do you know right now there's this, you may have heard of it, this AI technology. And I think Microsoft, they're incorporating it into Microsoft now, or they're, they're working on it. And what this AI technology does is it's going to start showing you and telling us how we ought to think. And we can only find certain information if the AI wants us to know that information. And then it trains our way of thinking. It's like the liberals in the school system. Because the liberals have infiltrated the school system, they've changed an entire generation's way of thinking. And that's what they want to do to you and I as well. So through this AI, you'll ask it a question, and it's going to give you a liberal answer is what it's going to do. And it'll ask you how, who Muhammad is, and it'll say it's a great uh, prophet and all that. And it'll ask, you ask it who Jesus Christ is, and it'll say, sorry, I can't answer that question. Oh, wait a second, you just answered about Muhammad, but now why can't you? You see, there's going to be a bias against that thing. And that's the direction that you and I are going. And one of the, uh, the articles that I read about this AI technology, I'm trying to think of the name of it, and it escapes me. Uh, they've got a name for it. But one of the things they said that it's going to do is it's going to try to take away the Bible, the Word of God. Because nowadays, a lot of people go to church and their Bible's on their phone, electronics. You go to mo a lot of modern churches, they don't even bring a Bible with them nowadays, they just bring the electronics. So if the AI technology is doing away with that and cha or changing it, then how are you going to know whether you're getting the truth or not? Just because it feels like it's the truth? I'm sorry, but I'm not going for that one. Because there's a lot of things that, that you might feel like is okay and it's wrong according to the Scriptures. I'm telling you, sometimes I, I get up and there's times I forget what I'm supposed to do that day. You know, there was something I was going to do and I forgot what it was. Maybe it'll come to me later. I get up and go to the next room and I'm thinking, what am I in here for? You ever done that? I don't know. I've, I've always been like that, though. I've got to be careful. I, I remember mom or dad would say, hey, go get me a cup of coffee. I'd grab the cup and I'd take off up into the kitchen and stop and stand there and think, what am I in here for? And I got the cup in my hand, you know? And then I look down, I'm like, oh, that's it right there. But for a split second, I forgot why, you know, that. But see, when it comes to the Word of God, we've got to put it in our hearts. You see, there's three places you can find the Word of God, probably a whole lot more, but there's three places you can find the Word of God. We have it in our hand, right? And then we can put it in our heart. And we've got it in our home. But you see, they can come and they can take it away out of our hand. They can come and they can take it away out of our home. But they'll never, ever be able to take it out of our heart. And that's why we ought to put the Word of God in our heart so that we don't sin against God. You see, some of our problems today are a result of a lack of a love for God's Word. The church has lost God's Word. She's laid it aside. Then number four, the church no longer has a desire or a determination for the things of God. People no longer desire the things of God. You, you ever wondered why that most churches don't even have a five-day meeting now? used to be that they'd have a meeting, like a, we call it a revival meeting, and they go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Now they've cut it back to where it's just like Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. Or it might be a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Why? Because everybody's busy with everything else, taking kids to ball games and doing this and doing that and this and that, that they have no time for God in His house anymore. You see, they've cut back on those... I, 
I don't know that I'll ever have a five-day meeting again. I mean, God would have to really tell me very specifically in no uncertain terms because you can't get people to come out to support it. You know, so that's just, that's just the day we're in. And that's a part of that Laodicea church age day we're in because the church no longer has a desire or a determination for the things of God. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, Jesus is talking to the angel of the church at Ephesus and he says this, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. So the average believer today has really no true interest in the things of God. Most believers just may come to church on Sunday morning just to, to get God off their conscience and, okay, I'm good for the rest of the week. And then what about the rest of the week, though? Sunday night, Wednesday night. What about special meetings, revivals, and things like that? I don't really understand it all, but people get saved and then six months later you can't find them. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. I've said this for years, though. I mean, people get saved six months later, the CIA can't even find them. I mean, they're nowhere to be found. I mean, people fizzle out as fast as they fizzle up, you know. Living for God shouldn't be based upon emotions. You, living for God is going to be more about discipline. It's going to be more about character than it is about emotions. There's a lot of days I wake up and I'm like, I don't want to get out of the bed. You ever felt that way? I'd just rather lay here. I can't. I've got to get up and I've got to go. I've got responsibilities. I've got things that I need to get done. Hey, the church is going to need a message on Sunday morning. I've got to get busy. The church is going to need a message for Sunday night. I better get busy. You've got to stay disciplined at it because if you don't, you're going to get behind the eight ball and the next thing you know, people are going to be like, well, why would I go to church there? If he don't care enough about preparing for the services, why should I care enough about going? So we're going to have to stay disciplined and, and determine whether we feel like it or not. We're going to have to get that way. I mean, you, you, you know how it was. It's like when the two churches first emer they merged, right? Things were exciting. and It was like, it was new, right? And then, and then people were coming and they were excited. But then eventually those, some of those folks that were just going on emotions fizzled out. And now they don't come anymore, or if they do, it's just a hit and a miss. Why? Because they were wrapped up in the emotional part of it. You know, it was all about that. And so now that the emotions are gone, you know, you've got to try to drag them to church to get them here sometimes. But you see, when the emotions and the desire is no longer there, they quit. Now, don't get me wrong. I like emotions, don't you? I like to come to church and feel good. I like to come to church and, and what we talk about, feeling the presence of God. I like that. But whether I feel that or not, I'm still going to keep on going. I'm still going to serve my God whether I feel like it or not. I'm still going to get up and preach whether I feel like it or not. I'm still going to get up and sing whether I feel like singing or not. I'm still going to get up and testify whether I feel like testifying or not. I'm going to continue to go on with determination whether I've got emotions along with it or not. You're going to have to learn that if you're going to stay in this thing, you can't go on your emotions. You're going to have to go on determination, on your character. And nowadays, character is something that's hard to find in a lot of people, even Christians. But we're going to serve Him, not based upon whether we feel like it or not, but because we love Him. Did you know that love's not a feeling? Somebody said, well, they just fell in love. Technically, you don't fall in love. You fall in lust. Lust is the feeling, right? You know, it's like these young people, you know, they just, they got these puppy love. They got these little puppy dog eyes, and they're looking at one another, you know. And y'all remember that. Y'all used to have that until you got married and you got over it, you know. Uh, <laughs> That happens, you know. After about a year, you'll see them. They'll be fussing and fighting and carrying on. That's life. You want to make it through your, if you want to make it through your marriage, it's not about emotions and feelings. It's, it's about character and determination. How determined are you to make it work? How much do you love them? Love is not a feeling, but love is an action. For God so loved the world that He gave. 
Love gives. Love doesn't even take for that matter. Love gives. And so it's going to take some determination. And Jesus Christ showed that determination at the cross of Calvary. I'm sure he didn't feel like it. I'm sure after they plucked his beard out, he didn't feel like it. I'm sure that after they stripped him of his garments, he didn't feel like it. I'm sure that when they put those, uh, those uh, nails in his hands, I'm sure that he didn't feel like it. But he did it anyway. Why? Because he was determined to serve his heavenly Father. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let's continue to have a desire to see people saved. When's the last time you've led somebody to the Lord? Have you ever led somebody to Jesus Christ? When you say, well, I don't know how. Well, you've been saved for 20 and 30 years. Don't you think it'd be good to figure out how to lead somebody to Jesus Christ? You know what I teach? Now, I may teach this on a Wednesday night coming up sometime shortly, but I'll, I'll show you how to mark your Bible. There's people who don't believe in marking their Bible. They think you're actually writing and putting a tattoo on the face of Jesus Christ, the way you hear them talk about it. I mark my Bible up, man. I've got notes in there. And so what I do is I'll show you how to mark, that, mark your Bible in order to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. You may be out somewhere and something, God may put you in a certain position and then you'll know how to lead somebody to Christ. We ought to uh, get a love for seeing souls come to Jesus Christ. I believe that. I believe we ought, to, we ought to pass out tracks. We've got a track rack out there in the hallway. As soon as you step out this door here to your right, there's a track rack there. Pick you up some tracks and take them with you and pass them out. When you go to McDonald's, pass it out. Andrew loves to do that. He loves to, to roll down the window and hand them a track as we're going through and you know, put it in, uh, in you know, when you go to Walmart or the mall or whatever. I, we got run off one time. Santa Claus ran us off from Walmart one time. We went down there, it was me, and I had a visitation partner, and, and uh, then it was two other guys, and I can't remember who, who it was. But anyway, uh, we had went visiting, it was around Christmas time, and you know the, the um, oh, what do you call them? Salvation Army, thank you. He's out there ringing the bell, and he's all dressed up in his Santa outfit. And here come the manager at Walmart, and he said, y'all can't do that, you can't pass out tracks. At this, and this, he said, this Santa over here told us that you were doing that, you can't do that. And I'm thinking, we're giving out something for free, and he wants something. You know, so it's just kind of hypocritical and all that. So Santa actually ratted us out. That's why I don't like Santa Claus to this day. <laughs> I don't care if he brings me another toy or not. <laughs> you know what we need to do? We need to repent from the heart because of the lack of the desire to win souls to Jesus Christ. Let me, let me give you one more, and I'll be done. The church's love has grown cold. You see, we're living in dangerous times and perilous times because the church should be an example. It should be a, a light to the world, in, in this world, actually. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12, And because the iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. You ever had a wax candle and you just tipped it over and let the wax drip off and it quickly hardens up, doesn't it? And that's what happens when wax gets cold. And that's the way it is with some people's love. It, it's gotten hardened is what it is. And that's even in the church today. The church is not exempt from that. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 13 says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Things aren't supposed to get better, folks. They're going to get worse. But that doesn't mean that you and I have to go along with it. We can still show the love of Jesus Christ in this world that doesn't have so much love. Romans 5.5 5 says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. If you're saved, then you have the love of God inside of you, and you can show other people that same love that God showed you and I. You see, people today in, in, in our churches, uh, their love has grown cold, but then people's love for the church has grown cold. 
People's love. Look around. I mean, it used to be that churches were full and thriving and doing great, and now you can't hardly get people to come to church. They'd rather sit home and watch it on TV or on this here and thumb through this. They'd rather do that. And then Monday morning comes, they'll get up and they're off to work and doing that. But then Wednesday night rolls around, can't find them. Sunday rolls around, might be a hit and a miss. You see, that's the way it is today. People's love for the church has grown cold. And Jesus said in Matthew 21, 13, He said, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. I mean, what they were doing is they were, it, they were taking the sacrifices that the people were to offer and they were selling it and making money off of God's people right there in God's house. And the Lord got mad about that thing, and He said, you've made it a den of thieves. You know, the spiritual truth from that is, is let's not rob others and ourselves from the love of God when we assemble in this place. We don't have to bicker and strife and, and all that other stuff. Why do we have to get upset over things? All right, I mean, you know, I don't get my way. You know, sometimes the pastor doesn't even get his way. I'm going to go bring my little binky up here and suck on it for a while before I preach. You know, you've got to get some thick skin and move on. Things happen in church. When you've got multitudes of people that come to church, things happen. And you can't control all of that. People come with their bad attitudes and their, their, their motives wrong and things like that, and you're going to have to look beyond that if you want to stay in your church for a long time. I mean, they've made it a den of thieves, so to speak, a place where robbers can gather together. Let's strive to make it a place where people come and know God's love can be found here. And then number three, our love in the home has grown cold. In Luke 12 and verse 53, the father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father and the mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, I know that's in the tribulation period. The father and son and mother and daughter is going to be turning on one another. They're going to be turning each other in to the state police, the, uh, the, the state-run police. They're going to be turning each other in to the Antichrist, you know, so that they're not punished for certain things. They're going to turn on one another. But, you know, that goes on spiritually speaking today. I mean, the kids and the parents aren't getting along. I mean, nowadays there's kids even killing their parents, grabbing a knife or a gun and just shooting their parents. That ought not be. That's the day we're in. We're living in dangerous times. Our love among the brethren has grown cold. Peter said in 1 Peter 1.22, he talks about unfeigned faith, uh, unfeigned love of the brethren is what he talks about, and that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. That means we love each other without a hypocritical love. You know, it shouldn't be fake. You shouldn't come in and say, oh, I love you, and you walk out saying, I can't stand that guy. It should be a... <laughs> it's funny because there's truth to that, though, isn't there? Really, there is, but uh, that's, just, that's just the human nature, I guess. But it shouldn't be that way. First John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's a stout one right there, isn't it? That goes to show you we ought to love one another. And then number E, whatever that is, A, B, C, D, E, five, number five, our love for God's men have grown cold. You know, people no longer respect a preacher nowadays. Now, I do have to say this. Some preachers have lost that respect because of their own selves. I understand that. But you can't lump every preacher in that same basket. Not everybody is like that. He said in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. You want peace among yourselves? Then you esteem those among you that preach to you the Word of God. Our love for the unsaved has grown cold. David said in Psalm 142, 4, No man cared for my soul. You know what? There's people here today that care for your soul. I mean, that's what I've been doing all along, is trying to help you and your soul. If you're not saved, 
There's somebody that cares for your soul. If nobody in this building cares for your soul, can I tell you, Jesus Christ cares for your soul? He cared so much for your soul that He did go to the cross of Calvary. He did give His life for you so that you don't have to die and go to hell in your sins. But you see, the, today the choice is yours. You're going to have to push back all of your thoughts and, and, and your preconceived notions of what salvation is all about and just come to Jesus Christ today. I believe most of us probably would agree that we are living in, if, at the very least, we're living in troubled times. I believe we can agree with that. And the world and the devil would have you to believe that everything's great. The world and the devil would have you to believe that technology is just it's making things so much better and things are going so much greater. People are living longer. Science and medicine has gotten... And, and to an extent, they're right. But you know, somebody can live to be 100 years old, but the fact of the matter is if they die without Jesus Christ, science and medicine did them no good. They still go to the same place whether they died lost at 30 or 100. For the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're living in some perilous times.